human and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witnessed against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barachiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. See your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, if you're here for the very first time, a warm welcome to you. You have joined us on our sixth talk, sixth talk of the series in, in, uh, that is titled uh, Follow Me from the Book of, of Matthew. Now, if you would like to listen to some of the talks that we've given before, please make your way to our website and you can listen to those talks there. What we've done in the series so far is try and explain a few things. It's trying to explain what is a disciple, how disciples made. We've tried to look at what is our mission as Christians and how does the world respond to us as we are on the mission. And tonight, we'll look at the, ti- the topic titled, as you see behind me, Those Who Don't Follow. Now, I'll just modify the title a little bit and say, When We Don't Follow. Right now, pray for us, and then we'll come to God's word. Actually, before I pray, for those who do not know me, I'm Reggie. Um, should have introduced myself. I'm Reggie. Uh, again, warm welcome to you uh, to our 6 p.m. service. Let me pray for us. Whether are you indeed our king, for you have redeemed us. You have called us out of darkness into your light, and you have made us yours. But we do thank you that, uh, like Matthew, today as we reflect, we can call ourselves your followers. And Father, we know that you have given us a worthy mission 
a mission to take this message of the gospel to, to others so that they themselves may become your followers. But Lord, as we reflect on the past week and think about our lives, we know very well that there are way too many times when we ourselves have not followed you and have not lived in the way that you call us to. So tonight, as we sung earlier, we ask that you would speak to us once again through the power of your word and through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. If I was to ask you a question tonight, if I was to ask you this question, what is or what are the reasons the people in your network, your friends, your family, what are the reasons why they don't want to come to church? What are the reasons why they don't want anything to do with Jesus or the church? What would you say? So I think most of us would perhaps answer the question in this way. The reason why the people in my circle do not want to come to church, do not want anything to do with Jesus, is because one, they think God does not exist. Two, they think Christianity has a violent history. Three, they think that the church and the Bible is a killjoy or a party pooper. Four, the Bible can't be trusted. This is something you'd hear from someone who has a little bit more melanin than others. The Bible cannot be trusted. These are the reasons people would give. But if we turned around and asked them, if we asked the people outside of the church, what is it that stops them from interacting with Jesus in the church, what do you think they would say? There's a group called the Bonner Group. This group does extensive studies for the church to make the church understand how they should be applying the gospel to the world. They've done an extensive study to try and figure out, to try and answer this very question. They took this question to a big group of non-Christians and asked them, well, what are the reasons why you don't come to church? What are the reasons why you don't want anything to do with Jesus? And you see, from that research, they found out that among the top reasons, there was nothing to do with the history of Christianity. There was nothing to do with what people's thoughts on the Bible are, or people's thoughts on, on God are, that there was none of that. Rather, among the top reasons was among the top reason was, reasons was what people thought of Christians and their morality. So among the top reasons was what they thought about Christians and their morality. And third on the list was our topic for tonight. And I hope you picked it up as the passage was read for us. Hypocrites. Third on the reason is because they think Christians are moral hypocrites. And so to answer the opening question, why, why do the people in your network and my network don't come to church or don't want anything to do with Jesus? You and I are the biggest hurdle to people embracing Jesus. You and I are the biggest reason, why, among, the biggest re, uh, among, the be, uh, uh, among the biggest reasons why people don't want to interact with Jesus. 
Now, perhaps you have heard in a conversation with colleagues uh, around lunchtime at work, or perhaps around a bri with friends, you have heard someone saying this, the reason why I won't come to church or I don't want to go to church is because the church is full of hypocrites. The church is full of hypocrites. And perhaps what you have heard is someone else in the audience answering and saying this, hey, hey, if you don't come to church, Hey, let me just find my way in the script. Oh, if that's the reason why you don't come to church, well, don't let that stop you from coming. I'm sure we have room for one more. Now, you see, that scenario right there is often told as a joke. It's told as a joke, uh, as almost to underplay, to underplay or to dismiss our, our consistent inconsistencies as followers of Jesus. To underplay that the, the fact that you and I often don't act like this Jesus who has called us. But instead of admitting that you and I often have times where we don't act like Jesus, what, what we often say is, hey, if you come to church, you're not coming to church for us. You're coming to, you're coming to church for Jesus. And it sounds like something good to say. That sounds like something good to say, but that is something that is really unhelpful. It is unhelpful because like Judas last week, like Judas in the passage that we saw last week, you and I often don't realize the ugliness of hypocrisy and the damage that it causes. We don't see its ugliness and the damage it causes. See, we don't see the disappointment from someone who's been following you, someone whom you've been discipling, or someone who's been watching you from a distance and has been thinking, I would like to consider Christianity because of it looking at your life. I'd like to consider this whole church thing. But more and more as they look at your life, they realize that what you say and your life are not on the same WhatsApp group. That consistently, your life and your words don't match up. And so they sit there thinking to themselves, wow, I thought Christians were a little bit different. Oh, they were different from the rest of the world. But from what I am seeing, what they have is not any different to what we do. They're not any different. I don't know if Christianity is worth it. See, see, we don't see those disappointments. See, we don't see the hurt from someone who has been abused by someone in authority, a Christian who's older, a pastor, whoever it may be, who's abused them emotionally, physically, or sexually. We, we don't see that hurt from someone like that. We don't see the anger and the bitterness from a family that has been broken up because one of the spouses or one of the parents was found out to be a fraud. See, you and I often don't see this ugliness and damage that hypocrisy causes. We don't see it. We don't see how, how when our words and actions don't match up, how it affects people's perceptions of the gospel. How it affects people's perceptions of the church. Perhaps you have heard the, the famous words from Mahatma Gandhi who has said, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Perhaps you've heard someone saying that. Or quoting that from Mahatma Gandhi. There's another scholar who says this. He says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out of the door and deny him 
but their lifestyle. That is what the unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. That's your words and your actions, my words and my actions, consistently do not match up. That we're hypocrites. We're not who we say we are. We don't act as we say we will. We're hypocrites. Now, I'm sure the question that has sprung to your mind as I've been saying this is, so does this mean, does this mean if I have moments when I struggle with sin in my life, that I'm a hypocrite? Is that what that means? Well, I I don't want to answer the question immediately. I'll just wait for us until we get to the passage and allow the passage to answer the question for us. So I'm hoping that by the end of the sermon, you would have had that question answered. But before we do that, let us consider this word that Jesus uses a number of times here in this passage. The word hypocrite. It's actually a word that is mentioned a number of times in the Gospel of Matthew. What is this word hypocrite? What does it mean? Well, the word in in Greek culture was thought of to, to, to refer to an actor, to refer to someone who plays different roles. The person comes up with a mask. They have the mask in front of them, and they have the mask of a happy face, and they play that role, and as soon as they're done, they can pull off another mask, a mask of a frowning face, and then they would act that role out. But what they would do is they would act different characters using this mask. See, the word in its original context, simply meant someone who plays different roles behind different masks. The word has no negative connotation when you think about it in the, in the original context. But when Jesus uses the word in this passage, Jesus uses this word to reflect on something negative about the lives of the scribes and the Pharisees. See, he points out that the, the scribes and the Pharisees are acting and performing, that their words and their actions do not match up, that their words and their life do not match up, that in public they wear a mask to portray themselves as being good, to portray themselves as being self-righteous, or as being righteous rather, while in the privacy of their, of their own hearts, they're nothing like that, nothing like it at all. See, these very same people whom Jesus addresses in this big crowd, a crowd that is his disciples, the Pharisees, and many other people who followed him. These Pharisees whom Jesus addresses in, in this passage, just in the previous chapter, in chapter 22, came to Jesus to trick him. They came to Jesus and asked him a question, a question about a coin they were holding, and asked him, who does this coin belong to and they knew if Jesus says this coin belongs to Caesar, then he would be, he would be disowning the fact that God owns everything because God has created everything. Or if, if Jesus had said, well, this coin belongs to God, then they know that Jesus would have committed treason because he would have not said this belongs to Caesar. And so Jesus would have gotten himself in trouble and perhaps gotten to a place where he gotten himself executed. See, they come to Jesus to trick him. They act like they have a good question to ask, but the motive deep down is they want to see the worst for him. They wear this mask in public to look like they're good people, but deep down inside, they're nothing like that. They're nothing like it. 
And here's the thing about the Pharisees. Here's the thing about the scribes and the Pharisees. They didn't even realize. They didn't even have the self-awareness to realize that they were acting or performing. They didn't realize that. It's, it's like this character called Bolt. I don't know if you guys know Bolt from an animation. Bolt is a character in an animation. He, he's a dog. And he, in the animation, the movie, he, he is part of a show. And in this show, Bolt has got superpowers. But Bolt is unaware or does not have the self-realization that he's actually acting the whole time. That he's in studio. That he's on the stage the whole time. And so the one time he gets out, he tries to activate one of his superpowers and none of it come out. So he doesn't have the self-awareness to realize that he's acting just like these Pharisees here. See, they think they're being good people. But really deep down, they are broken. In the privacy of their own hearts, they are nothing like what they portray. And so Jesus, in this last public sermon that he gives, gives a scathing review of them. Jesus points to their hypocrisy and their lack of self-awareness. Jesus wants them to see this. Look at what Jesus says in verse 25. Verse 25 of Matthew chapter 23. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. See what Jesus points out, uh, out there to us? He just points out to us that these guys think the problem is external. That they think the problem is what is outside. And so what they do is try to modify these external behaviors. And not realize that the problem is inside. The problem is their own hearts. Their hearts are dirty and filthy. Their hearts have been turned away from God. See, what they are doing here is simply putting makeup or spraying a cologne on a corpse. And they think that this cover-up will cover what is happening inside. They don't realize that their external modifications actually do nothing to change what is on the inside. Their hearts are far from God. Their hearts are broken. They're nothing like what they act. They're nothing like what they act. See, what the Pharisees do is something that you and I often do when we have someone who visits our house. When we have a guest in our house that's a little bit dirty, what you and I do is we quickly pick up everything that's in front of us and try and put it into a closet or a wardrobe. We try and move things so that we hide them, so that the person does not see the dirt or the filth that was all over the house. This is what the Pharisees are doing and not realizing that deep down inside they are broken. They're as broken as the people that they often pointed to as sinners. They're broken. They carry a lot of junk in their life, just like everyone else. Joseph Solomon, who is a poet and a musician, actually one of the people in the audience here, well, not audience, in the congregation tonight, has a huge crush on him. I'm not going to expose who it is. Joseph Solomon, brilliant, brilliant poet and musician. He says, imagine this. Imagine that you've got a glass of water. And you're drinking this water. It's refreshing. Your eyes are closed. You're enjoying the water. And in a split second, you realize that at the bottom of the cup, there's food or old food. There's something dirty 
at the bottom at the bottom of the class there's mold what do you and i often do <laughs> finish the order i would have never expected that response but i think for most people they'll probably spit and try and gag and try and rinse their mouth so you see that kind of response that you and i have to that kind of filth to that kind of ugliness is the kind that jesus is calling us to as we look at hypocrisy hypocrisy in our own lives and hypocrisy in the church this is the kind of reaction that you and i should immediately have see as you read through the passage and as it was read to us i hope you heard that jesus does not leave us to wonder what he thinks about hypocrisy it's quite clear as you, as you, as you read through the passage and as the passage was read to us it's quite clear what jesus thinks of hypocrisy listen to some of the words of the names that he called the scribes and the pharisees verse 16 he calls them blind guides and verse in verse 17 he calls them blind fools and calls them the same thing in verse 24 he says blind fools in verse 19 he says blind men in verse 27 he says whitewashed tombs and in verse 33 he calls them serpents snakes and vipers see those are not the kind of words you use for someone you like or someone whom you're happy with those are not the kind of words you you use for someone who 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 looks good or who's living a good life those are not the kind of words you use see we're not left to wonder here what jesus thinks of hypocrisy that's what he calls them he says white washed tombs and then thereafter jesus says to them over and again and i hope you saw in the passage he says woe to you or or as other passages put it Uh, other bible translations i mean how terrible for you how terrible for you when the judgment of god is revealed on you now and in the future that you have been hypocrites in layman's terms jesus is saying to them hey basop your words and your actions are not matching up See, it's not hard to see in this passage that Jesus despises hypocrisy. He despises hypocrisy, which is why he clashed often with the scribes and the Pharisees. See in verse 12 we see what the problem of the scribes and Pharisees is. Their problem is that they've exalted themselves to a position where they see themselves as the god over their own lives. and not just as the, as the god of their own lives but as god over the lives of those whom they are teaching god's people whom they are leading see how they were acting is contrary or the opposite of what marks the people of god if you read uh the sermon on the mount from matthew chapter 5 to matthew chapter 7 you will hear in the beatitudes that jesus says these are the marks of the people who are part of the kingdom of god they are marked by humility He says blessed are the meek blessed are those who are meek and you see the pharisees and scribes here their hypocrisy shows that they were not humble rather they had exalted themselves to a position of god in their own lives they make the decisions about their own lives and the lives of others around them 
which is why their words and actions do not match up. See, as a follower of Jesus, what it looks like to live for Jesus is our life is marked by humility, the opposite of the, of the Pharisees. The opposite of the Pharisees. But perhaps as you're sitting here tonight, you're thinking to yourself, well, when Reggie, as I look at my life, I'm not sure if I can pick out the marks of being a hypocrisy. How can I see what the marks of being, uh, of being hypocritical look like? How can I know that I'm not being humble or my life is not marked by meekness? How can I see that I'm not being ensnared by the same shackles of, hypo- of hypocrisy that, in- that, that enshackled the, deci- the, the Pharisees? Because here's the thing. You and I are as susceptible to this as they were. Well, if you are thinking, so how do I spot out how do I spot out hypocrisy in my own life? Well, I've got three things from verse 1 to 12 that show us the signs or the signposts of hypocrisy. Here's the first one. The first signpost of hypocrisy in your life that you can look for. One, being comfortable with inconsistency in your life. Being comfortable with the pattern of sin in your life is the first one. Let's read verse 2 and 3 together. Our focus tonight, as I said, will be on verse 1 to verse 12 tonight. Verse 2 reads as follows. The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do you, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. You see that? They know the truth. You and I know the truth. We've heard it. And perhaps we even teach it. We teach the truth. We teach the gospel to kids at Sunday school, at Bible studies, at campus, wherever it may be. But our lives, in our lives, we're not concerned with living this truth out because we are comfortable in our sin. Now, now, the word comfortable here implies that someone no longer has the will to fight sin. They no longer have the will to fight sin in their life. They've given themselves over to sin. They've raised the white flag to sin in their lives. And what they do to hide this sin in their lives is puff themselves up with knowledge. And so that when they appear in public... They can wear the mask that looks like, hey, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I know God's word. And so as people listen to you, they commend you for your teaching and how you quote scripture. But really behind all of that, behind all of that display is a mask that you have given into sin, that you've raised your flag to sin, your white flag to sin. You're comfortable in sin. See, I think this is what most of us do. We do that. We put up this mask in front of people and put away the sin that we struggle with such that anyone else does not see it. But you see, at the end, it's not really worth it. Because at the end of the day, you and I go back home to ourselves. And we sit there and we go back to the dark corners of our hearts. And we're reminded by our brokenness. And not only about how our brokenness affects our lives, but how Jesus sees 
our brokenness as well. See, whatever darkness we are hiding eventually comes to the light. All of us will one day get found out, including me. All of us will one day get found out, either in this life or in the life to come. Perhaps you have heard these words that have been attributed to Abraham Lincoln. The words go as follows. You can fool all the people some of the time, and some of the people all the time, but you cannot fool all the people all the time. One day you and I will be found out. More than that, we will stand before this king, Jesus, who has redeemed us, whom we have now have turned our backs on by living hypocritical lives. Now, this does not mean a Christian needs to be perfect. No, it doesn't. But a Christian, this is what a Christian is. A Christian is not someone who is sinless. Rather, a Christian is someone who sins less. There's a progressive move in their life. They've not given themselves over to sin. They've not given up the fight to sin. So let me ask you this. The first mark, are you comfortable with sin? Have you raised your white flag to sin? That is the first mark of a life that is hypocritical. The second mark, uh, we'll read verse, from verse 4. The second mark is we judge others by a higher standard than we judge ourselves. Let's read verse 4. So we judge uh, others by a higher standard than we judge ourselves. Verse 4, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. See what he points us to there, that we put these heavy loads on people. This is what the Pharisees did. We put these heavy loads on people. And the way that we always, that you and I do it, is by always pointing out the sin in other people's lives while not realizing the sin in our own lives. See, we always see the speck in our brother's eye instead of the plank in our own eye. We always remember how the person has hurt us, how their sin seems, their sin seems much bigger than ours. And so we judge them by standard that is different to, what, what we, to the one that we judge ourselves by. That, that, that's the very first thing we do. We always point out the sin in other people's lives. The other thing that we do to show that we judge people by a different standard is by expecting people to overcome sin or a sin that you and I are still struggling with or a sin that we had been struggling with for years. But now we turn and look at the person and wonder, why is it taking you so long to get over this sin? Well, why can't you get over this sin? We don't show them the same grace that we expected from Jesus when we were struggling with our own sin or as we are struggling with our own sin. Why aren't you changing? We forget our past. Uh, I think the third one that is perhaps a little bit murky is our lack of vulnerability about our struggles with the people whom we disciple. So, so we'll often say, hey, there's wisdom, and I agree. There's great wisdom that you don't want to share everything with the person whom you disciple. But very often what happens is couched behind this wisdom is what C.S. Lewis says. Listen to this quote. Anyone who has ever taught or ever attempted to lead others knows the tendency in all of us toward exaggerating our depth of character 
while treating leniently our own flaws and sin than those of others. So we consciously or subconsciously put forward a better image of ourselves than what exists. And so this person whom you are discipling sits there and thinks, man, 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 why is it that, that my leader doesn't seem like he ever struggles with sin? I never hear anything like that. Am I the only one who's struggling with sin? So those are the first two things. One, we are comfortable with sin. Two, we judge others by a different standard. Here's the third thing. We serve or do good in order to be recognized or praised. Verse 5 to 7. Let's read it together. We do good or we serve in order to be recognized or praised. Verse 5 to 7. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make, for they make, ooh, Philetor <laughs> is broad uh, and they are frings alone and they love the places of honor and they love the places of honor at the feast. Let me read it again from verse 5. They do all the deeds to be seen by others for they make their phyletories broad and their frings long and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and, greet, and greetings in the marketplace, and being called rabbi by others. That's what he points out there. So they do good in order to be noticed, in order to be praised. And I think you and I often do that as well. And here's the measure to see it. Here's the measure to see whether you and I do this, as the Pharisees do. Let me pose this question to you. How do you feel when someone gets praised for the same job that you did, that you perhaps did better, whether at work or in the church? How do you feel at, at that moment? I think more, of, more often than not, most of us look at that and think, why aren't I receiving the praise? Because we are doing that in order to be praised. Here's the other one. Are you more excited at the prospect of leading a Bible study or reading up front? than the prospect of packing chairs and cleaning cups. See, all of us chase these titles or these elite statuses because we want praise and we want men to recognize us. But Jesus in Matthew 6 says this. He says, if you're looking for praise from men, then you will not get praise from God, your Father. See, all of us tonight have got to make an introspection in our lives and wonder whether these marks exist in our life. Because here's the thing. The world can see when you and I act like what we are not. The world can see when we say one thing but act differently. And you see that very thing hampers the gospel. It hampers our witness. And moreover, Jesus himself can see our hypocrisy. So, so what do we do? What do we do when we realize our, our own hypocrisy? What should we do at that very moment? Well, turn with me to verse 25 and verse 26 and listen to these words from Jesus. Verse 25 and verse 26. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, 
First clean the inside of the cup and plate, that the outside may also be clean. You, you see what Jesus is pointing to there? Clean the inside first. But here's the thing. You and I can't do that work on our own. We can't clean ourselves. We can't change ourselves from the inside out. But here's the thing. The Bible tells us that there's one who has come exactly for that purpose. That those who turn to him and say, Jesus, I actually don't have it all together. My, my life is not all together, Jesus. Those who turn to him, Jesus then changes from the inside out. That's why he came. Listen to this quote from one commentator. He says this, change from the inside out involves a steadfast gaze upon our Lord that is life-changing because it reflects a deep turning from a commitment to self-sufficiency. See, without repentance, a look at Christ provides only an illusion of comfort. It only provides an illusion of comfort. So you and I tonight need to say, we need to turn to Jesus and say, in my heart and in my soul, Lord, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out. Change me so that I'm able to live for you. And perhaps for some of us tonight, we need to repent. We need to turn from our ways for the very first time. Perhaps we need to turn to Jesus and say, I've not lived my life the way that you call me to. And so I'm turning to you. But perhaps for some of us tonight, we need to come back to Jesus and realize that the Bible actually calls us to a life of continual repentance. A life when we are always turning back to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I'm not, I don't want to be comfortable with my sin. What I desire is to be used, for, is, is to be used by you. What I desire is to change what I desire is to live a life that is marked by humility. And you see, as I said, Jesus is willing to change and forgive all who turn to him in this way. This is the other thing we could do. Let's look at verse 12 to verse 8. Verse 8, I mean to verse 12. So the first thing is we turn to Jesus when we have realized that we are hypocrites, or that we're not living as he calls us to, we turn to him and ask him to change us from the inside out. The second thing is to realize what he points out in verse 8 to verse 12. Listen to verse 8. He says, but you, I hope you see the change in language there. Previously he said they, but now he says here, but you, you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers and sisters. And call no man on earth your father, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You see what Jesus points us to, the shift in the language there, what he points us to is actually as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're equal. Whether one is a teacher or not, we are all equal. We're all equal. There's no one who's superior. There's no one who has the right to stand in judgment over someone else and say, you are struggling with this sin and that sin. 
There's no one who's got the right to do that. All of us are equal. No one is superior. And so none of us should be seeking titles because all of us are equal. None of us should be seeking praise because in in front of Jesus, all of us are equal. We should not be looking down on others. And you see, that then leads us to what he then points out in verse 11, that our life will then be marked by humility. Humility because we realize the disgusting areas in our lives. We realize the areas when we have been, when we have been hypocrites. We realize the areas of ugliness in our lives and decide to turn to him to lead us and decide to turn to him and serve in the areas that he calls us to in the church, even in the areas that we think are minor. Because we know, as it says there, true greatness is found in serving others. See, the church is marked by this. The church is marked by this humility. And the world, as it looks out, the world looks out for a community like this. The world looks out for people who are like this. And you see, the church is attractive. But the church, when it lives as Jesus calls them to, can be very attractive because the world desires a community like this. So I plea with us tonight. May we no longer be hindrances to the gospel work. May, may, may we all decide, uh, Jesus, I'm not going to exalt myself. Rather, I'll humble myself. Because I know in humbling myself, you will exalt me. But we will all just turn and realize that. That if we are to be change makers, if we are to be a church that changes our community, this is what we ought to be marked by. Hypocrisy will turn the world from Jesus. But if we are marked with humility, if they see how we love each other, how we honor each other, they will turn to this Jesus as they hear his gospel message. So here's my plea to all of us. Let's be authentic. Let's live authentic lives and go out there with this gospel message to make followers who make followers. Let me pray for us. Father, with a topic such as this tonight, when we hear of hypocrisy and we see the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and scribes, most of us are tempted to think uh, that's what everyone else is like. But if we were to do a deep introspection in our lives, we would realize that in, in so many areas in our, of our lives, we are not so different to the Pharisees. We have found comfort in sin. We have sought for the praise of men in our service. And Father, we have judged others by a different standard than what we judge ourselves with. Lord, would you help us to see how this self-exaltation is unlike your gospel? And would you help us to see how it hampers the gospel going into the world. Would you help us to turn to you with humility and ask that you transform us from the inside out so that we may indeed be change makers in the world as we make disciples or make disciples. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.